0: Well, all right, this morning we're continuing our series on Joy Found. And we're looking at this issue of joy. And Jesus talked about, in the Beatitudes, about this issue of joy. And that it is possible, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation in life, that it is possible for you and I to have joy. Joy that is not dependent on situations. Joy that is not dependent on circumstances. But even in the most difficult circumstances of life. That we can have joy. Joy is different than happiness, right? Happiness is kind of temporary. Happiness depends on your situation. It depends on your circumstance. It depends on everybody agreeing with you or getting along and all of that other stuff. But, but Jesus begins talking about something that there's something more than, and deeper than happiness. And it's this thing called joy where joy is not tied to, to your circumstance but joy is tied to him and a relationship with him. And so we started this journey out together and we began looking at the, at the Beatitudes. And so if you've been with us, you, you know that, that the first week, the, the first Beatitude that we look at was, was this, is the blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, blessed or joy is found when the man or woman understands that they are spiritually destitute, that they are spiritually and completely dependent upon me, and not dependent upon anything else spiritually. And so that's the first one that you look at. And you know, as we start walking through these, you start getting it, and you start understanding that these Beatitudes are like progressive, or they're foundational, or one begins to build on the other. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then last week we looked at, blessed are those who mourn. And what a great promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So that kind of sets us at ease, and we realize that, you know what? Grief is okay, and mourning is okay. It is okay to grieve the, and mourn the death of a loved one, uh, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a friend, the loss of a relationship, uh, to mourn the, the grief of our sin, to mourn the sin or choice of, a, of another. And then he makes this promise. He says, and you have joy. Why? Because in the midst of your mourning, in the midst of your pain and your hurt, that you will be comforted. Well, who comforts you? Scripture says he does. In fact, is the scripture says, that he is close to the, the brokenhearted. He is close to those. And when you understand that you are spiritually dependent on him and spiritually destitute, and then when you go through mourning, you realize that he is the one that comforts you. And then this week, we're going to look at another one, which is this, is blessed are the, of the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And, and that one's kind of confusing to us because it's hard for us to believe that the meek person would inherit anything, right? I mean, we have this poor view of what a meek person looks like. And, and the fact is, I don't know anybody in our society that says, you know what, I just want to be a, a meek person. Because kind of what we look at when we talk about the issue of meek or uh, a person that is meek, we kind of look at a person that is kind of spineless, a person that is like a doormat and just, just everybody runs over. And so it reminds me of a joke. And so you guys know that a joke has no theological meaning, right? I mean, it's just a joke. You just, it's just something you laugh at, right? And so, but there's this joke about in heaven, And and St. Peter one day comes out in heaven and says, okay, men, I want you to form two lines. I want line over here, and this line is for all the men that, like, dominated their wives. Uh, They dominated their wives, told their wives how it was going to be, and that's just how it was. So you guys line up here. I need another line over here. This is a line for all the men that were dominated by their wives, that their wives told them how it was going to be, and that's just how it was, and they had, like, no say in the relationship. And so there's a lot of talking, and people begin, you guys don't already start elbowing each other. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, so so it's just a joke. So... So Simon Peter, you know, I mean, St. Peter starts watching, and there's all this conversation, there's talk and everything, and people are moving, and he, he looks over at the line to where, this line to where their wives dominated them and told them exactly how it was going to be. He could not even see, like, the end of the line. I mean, it was just forever. And so he looked over here. There's, like, one guy over here, and he's kind of, he's kind of frail, and he's kind of spineless, and he's kind of, you know, just milk toast, I guess, and so St. Peter walked over a little bit shocked and says, hey, buddy, uh, what are you doing in this line? He goes, you know, honestly, I don't know what line I'm in. My wife just came up to me and told me if I knew what was good for me, I better get in this line. (laughs) So that's how we view a meek person, right? Right. I mean that's why this 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 beatitude isn't exciting to us because that's we kind of view a meek person as this person that is just just spineless and just a doormat and just lets people run over them and never say anything never get frustrated never get never never have any dreams never have any goals but see that's not what the word means meek the word in the greek Prous means this. It means great strength under pressure. It means to have this power that is controlled. It means to have power, but at the same time to where you just, you just maintain, like, composure. The fact is we're meek towards others, but the Scripture says that we're also meek towards God. And when we're meek towards God, we're totally and completely submitted to him. In other words, we understand that joy is found in the man and the woman that understands their poor in spirit understands that they're totally and completely destitute and dependent on him. For Theirs is what the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is where God rules. And they understand that, you know what, joy is found when you submit and you surrender to him. We can be meek towards our circumstances and our situations also. In fact, is in the Old Testament, you find it over and over where people go through wilderness experiences and desert experiences, And and if you've lived any length of time, you've... You've probably gone through a wilderness experience in your life and a a desert experience. There's two types of wilderness or desert experiences. There's the public type to where everybody knows. Everybody knows you're going through a tough, tough time, whether it's relationally, whether it's emotionally, whether it's financially, whether it's physically. But there's also another type of wilderness experience, and it's private, where you're the only one that knows. You're the only one that knows that you're going through this desert experience, this wilderness experience. And, and in the Old Testament, people were meek towards the situations and the circumstances. And they understood that that desert experience, that God has a plan for their life even though they don't understand it. And he is sovereign and he is good and he is in control. If you believe that God is faithful and God is good, then you don't freak out in a desert experience. Because you realize that he is bigger than the wilderness. He is bigger than the desert. You want to know what you believe about the faithfulness of God? It is not found in the celebrations of life. It is not found when everything is going your way. It is found. When you go through those difficult times and those difficult circumstances and you realize that he's faithful and he's good. And even though you didn't like the circumstances and even though, let let me tell you something. I haven't been through one desert experience that, that I really enjoyed. But when I look back on it, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Because of the things that I learned and that were developed in me. So there's, there's three things about this issue of of, of joy and, and and being a meek person. Or we may be able to say it another way: uh, a person that is totally and completely controlled by God. It's when we're right with Him. It's when we're right with ourselves. It's when we're right with others. Those three things you have to have to have joy. Those three things you have to have what the Word tells us to have this joy that is not dependent upon circumstances and not dependent on situations. So the first one is this. If we're going to be totally controlled by God, if we're going to be that meek man, that meek woman, and we understand what that means in the circumstances of life, the first one is this. Is We have to be right with Him. In other words, not perfect. Uh, he never called us to be perfect. He called us to be authentic. He called us to be real. And so we're not talking about perfection here, but we are talking about in right relationship with him. And the, uh, Psalms 25.9 says this. Speaking of God, and he says, he leads the humble. You see, a meek person is humble. A meek person is not prideful. A meek person understands that his voice is the greatest authority in their life. Not what they think, not what their situations think, not what someone else thinks. But they're, they're humble. And they, they, well, He goes on and he says... And he leads the humble in what is right and, so, and teaches the, the humble his way. In other words, the person that is meek is, is totally and completely surrendered, submitted to him. And even though they're going through a wilderness, desert experience, they, man, they're listening for him to, to guide them. It's, it's a man or a woman who can totally and completely just trust God and into everything, if you guys have been life journaling with us, and you know we, we use that here, all of our leaders use that, and uh, we use that tool because we believe that that it's normative for believers to open up the scripture every day, and it's normative for believers to open up the scriptures and just ask God to, to speak to them, and they have that relationship. And so we've been walking through the book of Numbers, and so you've got the, the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 11, and they're not happy with their desert experience, right? They're not happy with the wilderness. They are not happy where God has led them in the situations that they're going through in the situations they're dealing with. In Numbers chapter 11, 1, here's what they say. And the people complained, now listen, we don't realize... See, we think complaining's harmless. And it's not. It's a direct accusation against God. You're not leading me correctly. I don't deserve this. This isn't right. Listen, let me tell you something. Whether we complain about an individual, whether we complain about a situation... At the root issue, it is an accusation about God that he is not faithful and he is not good and he does not know what he's doing. We almost have taken this issue of complaining down and made it a spiritual gift. Like, I got the spiritual gift of complaining. I can complain about anything. See, we don't mind complaining as long as we don't mind the desert experience. We don't mind difficulty as long as we get to complain about it, right? Right. I mean, you ever, you ever got stuck in a line and, and all of a sudden the, the, the person at the, the, the register uh, had tons of problems, like they didn't know how to replace the ribbon and the paper or whatever. It's jamming and they need that price check and the line gets longer and longer. You know, have you ever noticed that people just naturally, they'll complain to strangers, right? People don't mind com- waiting as long as they get to complain about it. And, they'll ju- and then they'll complain loud enough so he or she hears them, right? And you know the curse of the line, right? You, you can't move. You move to another line, you get fed up with this line, so that's it, I'm moving. You'll curse the line you go into. And that line will come to a screeching halt. I mean, it happens all the time. I told a lady one day, I won't name the place cuz I did one time and got in trouble. The manager was here and she she wasn't impressed. And so, but a line just we had this meltdown line so like everybody's complaining this lady behind me she's just complaining and she finally says that's it i'm going to the next line i said don't do it don't you'll curse the next line because there's something about us that we don't mind complaining about the desert the wilderness experience and we do everything we can to get out from under it right and so i says ma'am please don't do it i mean you can do it for whatever you want you will bless this line and you will curse whatever line you go to And so I explained to her the law law of the the lines. And so she said, that's it. I'm going. And I says, okay. And so she went. I am not kidding. All of a sudden, they needed a price check on her line. And her line just totally shut down. Our line started moving. I got my stuff. I walked by her. I says, law of the line. And she goes, I know it. And so, but there's something about us that we listen. We don't mind. We don't mind difficulty. We don't mind delay, as long as we get to complain about it because we think it's harmless. Listen, I have never met a complainer yet that had joy. Never. Eh, complaining about everybody around them, their situations, their circumstances, the, whatever. I have never met anyone yet that had joy that was just had this spirit of just complaint. So watch this. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord, in the hearing of the Lord, so he hears them about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, he was very, very happy with their complaint. And no, watch this. His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them. In other words, it cost them something and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Listen, let me tell you something about desert experiences and... and, uh, Man, if you're in the middle of a wilderness and a desert experience right now, here's the thing about a wilderness experience. That God intends to spiritually transform you in a desert experience. In a wilderness experience. A wilderness desert experience. You know what? I look at all of mine and I don't want to go through them again. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because some of the things that I learned... I learned that he is faithful he is bigger than any desert I'll ever walk through any wilderness that I ever walk through and so this wilderness desert experience has the opportunity for some of the greatest spiritual transformation or spiritual growth but it is also fertile ground to develop anger bitterness Unforgiveness. Resentment. And you don't walk out of it better. You walk out of it bitter. And angry. About everybody around you. See God intended and intended for them. That in the desert. That they would forge and build this relationship of trust because if you can trust him with the biggest desert in your life the biggest wilderness experience in your life then you can trust him with anything in other words what jesus is saying i got one prerequisite for you to have unbelievable joy in your life will you trust me that's the thing you ask Abraham over and over, all the way through Abraham's life in the Old Testament. You read it for yourself. Abraham, will you trust me? I mean, will you trust the purpose of this desert wilderness experience is so that you and God can forge this relationship of trust? But can I tell you this? complaining, the spirit of complaint is lethal and deadly to what God wants to do in your in your life. Look at it. Numbers 14.11. Moses and God have this running conversation together. And, and so, so, you, you, so you know what's going down, right? So the Israelites, they're, they're complaining about God. Now, they don't look at it that way. They're just complaining about Moses. And they're complaining about his leadership and that he doesn't hear from God. And though one day they did trust him, they no longer trust him. And, and he's not listening to God. And he's wrong and all this other stuff. But Moses is meek. Moses is spiritually destitute. Moses is praying to God. Moses is turned to God. And then here's what the Scripture says. And so the Lord says to Moses, and he asks him two very important questions. He says, how long will this people despise me? How long? In other words, how long will these people reject my counsel? You see, that word despise in the Hebrew was, was, really was fleshed out in this. It was to reject the wise counsel of an individual. And as a result of that, you had no joy. As a result of that, there were consequences. As a result of that, it wasn't, a, it wasn't good for you because you rejected the counsel of someone that was wise. And so God's asking Moses, Why, do they, why don't they believe in me? Well, that's what he says. Watch this. And so he asks another question. And how long? How long will they not believe in me? That's important. In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, how long will they not believe in me? After all I've done, I mean, I've gotten them out of slavery. We split the Red Sea wide open. I've I've met every one of their needs, led them by fire and led them by, by, by a cloud and done all these miracles in front of them. And they still don't trust me? And they still don't believe that I'm faithful? They still don't believe that I'm bigger than their circumstance. I'm bigger than their desert experience. I'm bigger than the stuff that they go through. Moses. See, a lot of believers, the reason they don't have joy is you say, oh, I believed in him 25 years ago when I accepted him, remember? I mean, I, I believed in him and I ex- accepted him then, but, but here's what God's asking. Do you believe in me today? Do you believe in me in the desert? Do you believe me in the wilderness experience? Do you believe that I am faithful? Do you believe that I am good? Do you believe that I am bigger than the situation you go through? See, God doesn't want to know what you believed in him 10, 15, 25 years ago. He wants to know, do you believe in me today? In the midst, maybe it's this way. Who is the loudest voice in your life? Who is the loudest voice of authority in your life? Is it you? Is it the world? Is it the situations? Is it circumstances? Or is it his word? Or is it his counsel? However, you answer that will determine your level of joy. Do you believe in him? Do you believe what his word says about marriage? He can do miracles. He can restore that love. Do you believe in him in the area of finances? Are you even willing to trust your finances to him? Are you even willing to trust your relationships to him? Or is it all about you? And have you become the authority in your life? See, God was asking Moses an important question for us to deal with. Do I believe in him today? Do I believe that in the midst of my desert, in the midst of my circumstances, if I take his word and make it my authority and apply it to those situations, that there's blessing and there's joy? The prerequisite for joy is this unbelievable trust. None of us would say that a desert is fun and a wilderness experience is fun. But what God is trying to do in your life and in my life is take those experiences and just forge this relationship of trust. Trust. Now are you right with God? Are you angry where, where He has you? You angry about the situation? You're angry about the, situ- the, the circumstances? Saying, "God, get me out of here. I don't deserve this. I'm better than this. I don't deserve to be treated like this. You'll never have joy. Joy is found in the person that understands that God is bigger than the desert and the wilderness and that there's great joy found. And the second thing is this. We're not only uh, controlled by God when we're right with him, but when we're right with ourselves as well. Watch this. And the the Scripture goes on, and the Scripture begins to tell us that that this this issue of, of just of being meek is this picture of some wild horses that once were were very passionate and very strong and they just they ran wild and some people captured them and and put a bridle on them and a bit in their mouth and they took that same passion they took that same strength and they brought it under control for what for a purpose see God doesn't desire to break your personality and destroy your personality God doesn't want to take your free will away. God doesn't want to make you to where you no longer have any passions and you no longer have any, any dreams and goals and just make you this spineless person that is like this doormat and just accepts anything. That's not what meek is. God wants to take you to where he forges this relationship of just just, just trust to where now you have, you have purpose. There are some people, they're just angry about everything, right? I mean, they're always venting and they're always angry about this and they're angry about this situation. They're mad about this. They're mad about this person. And they're just angry and they're just mad. And let me, let me tell you something. You will never have joy as long as you're continually just angry about everything. See, see meekness is this issue that, that you're angry at the right time for the right length of time against the right people. To where he wants you to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you get angry about the same things that God gets angry about. You know what I find? We get angry about stuff that God doesn't even care, that God doesn't even think it's a big deal. And the things God gets angry about, we could care less about. God says that the meek man or woman is this person that understands that. And I am totally and completely submitted and surrendered to to him. Aristotle uh, discussed and talked about in in their time about a meek person. He he writes and he says, a meek person is is this, the one who feels anger on the right grounds against the right people in the right manner and for the the right length of time. In other words, it's the man or woman where someone has hurt them and offended them. And as a result of that, they take it out on their family or they take it out on everybody close to them or they take it out on people that were innocent and had nothing to to do with that. See, a meek man or woman understands this issue about anger and that it's at the right time, it's over the right things against the people that caused it. I mean... It's this. It's this a power to totally be controlled to where you're surrendered to him. So, being controlled by God is to be right with Him. Is to be right with ourselves, and then what? Watch this, and then to be right with others. Uh, Will Rogers is the man that said. He says, "I've never met met a man that I couldn't like." In other, words, he, in other words, he could meet people and he could find the best in everybody and, and he could understand them. And, and But the Israelites, see the Israelites were angry at God, but who did they take it out on? They took it out on Moses. They told Moses he didn't know what he was doing. He was no longer following God. He took them out to the desert to what? To kill them. He, it was all about him and, and he was once led of God. Isn't it funny how we do that? Isn't it funny that as long as we agree with someone, we think God's leading them? But as soon as we disagree with them, as soon as we disagree with the situation, the circumstances, then we think, and you know why we do that? Because our authority is ourselves. We're the authority. We're the ones that determine whether God's in this or not. And see, the danger is, as they were complaining about Moses, but Moses was being led of God. Is is their direct accusation. See, when you're, when you're meek, you don't have to be an authority on everything. When you're meek, you don't have to be the expert on everything. When you're you're meek, it is truth and and love. I mean, it was it was said of Adolf Hitler when he when he when he conquered Paris. He says, I will first win them with power, and then I will will win them with love. He never won them by love. Because he was not a meek man. He didn't know what love was. And there are a lot of people that say, I will conquer my family. I will conquer conquer the relationships around me. I will win them by force. By beating them down. By being angry. By threats. By complaining. Never measuring up. but they don't know what love is and how it is to win someone by love. The, the most powerful thing, and I think what takes the most strength and dependency on God is to bow down and surrender when you want to tell someone off and you just want to crush them with your word. So the, the real question this morning, How do you become meek? Psalms 37 actually talks about this. It's been a a verse in a group of scriptures that I've lived by. Let's just walk through them in in closing. Uh, Verse 1, I'm just going to read through this and make some comments. Fret not not yourself because of evildoers. So fret means to have intense anger, to be incensed, um, to have unrighteous anger. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Evildoers means men and women of, uh, that wish evil intent. They want to hurt you. They want to slander you. They want to destroy you. They want it to come at a cost to you. And so he says, don't worry when evildoers, because of evildoers, and do not be envious of wrongdoers, In other words, don't be, wrong, don't be envious of the wrongdoers and the evil people that even though they're destroying people, it seems to be like things are going their way and it seems to be working out for them. A meek person is this, this person that understands that, man, I'm totally surrendered. Listen, the treatment by anybody else in your life towards you does not make you less in Christ. Their opinion of you may not even be who you are. It's not dependent upon that. And when I'm criticized and when I'm slandered, you know what I think? First thing that goes through my mind, obviously they do not know whose I am. I am bought by the blood. I am a child of the King. I am totally and completely perfect in Him. I am totally and completely forgiven to where we understand that we are totally surrendered and totally submitted to Him. And we get that. This issue of meekness is, is this picture of just great power, but it's great power harnessed. It's great power with, 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 with purpose and with meaning in life. And so the first thing when we, we look at this is, is Psalms seven three. Watch this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, but envious of wrongdoers. In other words, that, that I'm able to forgive. I'm able to forgive whether someone asks for it or not. Listen, let me tell you something. Unforgiveness will rob you of joy, will rob you of ministry. It will rob you of good relationships now. See, this issue of just of anger, this issue of just, of just understanding being anger, angry at the right people over the right stuff, but also this power to forgive. I've watched people that have carried unforgiveness for years and it's destroyed their present-day relationships. And forgiveness, to where you have the power to forgive. He says, "For they, watch this, for they will shoot soon fade away, fade like the grass and weather like the, the green herb. Isaiah 48 says this, the grass withers and the flower fades, but listen, the word of, of the Lord stands forever. Listen, critics keep dying. God's word keeps living. You will always have critics around you. You will always have people that complain about you. And you have got to know the meek man and the meek woman understand that I'm totally submitted and I'm surrendered to him. Trust in the Lord. Here's the first one. If you want to learn how to be meek, the first thing is do. You have to trust in the Lord. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And watch this. Befriend faithfulness. Listen, in the desert and in the wilderness, you've got to befriend faithfulness. It's in the wilderness and the desert that a lot of people spiritually check out. Even in the midst of your desert experience, even in the midst of your wilderness, you still got to know that he is faithful and he is good. And he is bigger than your situation. He is bigger than your circumstances. The first thing to know is to to trust him and to know that he is good. James Simpson in in, uh, 1847 is the man that invented chloroform. And uh, he made that medical discovery, and so uh, surgery is still painful, but it's a lot less painful now because of chloroform. And so he is credited with that medical discovery. And so late in his life, he was, he was lecturing at the University of Edinburgh. And so at the question and answer period, someone asked him, one of the students says, Dr. Simpson, what is the most valuable discovery that you've ever made in your life or ever heard of? Expecting him to dis- discuss the, the discovery of chloroform and how he tested it and that whole deal. And he thought for a moment, and he says, You know what? The most valuable, the greatest discovery I've made is when I learned that I am a sinner. And Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. He has forgiven me of my sins. And because of that, I have eternal life. Greatest discovery that I've ever made in my life. To where I don't have to carry all that guilt. And I don't have to carry all that stuff. And I don't have to carry all that resentment. That I can just trust Him with my life. The next thing you trust in Him, you've got to learn to delight in Him. Verse 4, delight yourselves in the Lord and what? Here's a promise. You delight in Him, He'll give you the desires of your heart. You learn to delight in Him. You learn to enjoy Him. You learn to spend time in His Word and let it speak into your life. The next one is, you commit your way to Him, verse 5. You commit your way to the Lord and you trust in Him. And then here's a promise, and and He'll act. You will never, I'm just telling you, you will never commit your life to Him. You will never commit your way to Him until you learn to trust Him, until you learn to delight in Him. He will bring forth your righteousness in the light and your justice is, is the noonday. The last thing is this, and you learn to rest in Him. There is something about resting when you know that he is good and you know that he is faithful and you learn just to take his word and surrender to it and apply it to your life. Let's just finish this this up. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil schemes or devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends to only lead to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall, here we go, shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Verse 11, watch this. But the meek, the one that surrendered to him, the one that understands that he is faithful and he is good, the one that takes his word and applies it, whether it's to their finances, to their marriage, to their relationships, to where his voice is the strongest voice in their life. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in unbelievable joy that is not tied to circumstances, that is not tied to situations regardless of what you walk through, regardless of what that desert looks like for you, that if you will learn to trust Him, if you'll learn to delight in Him, if you'll learn to commit to Him, and you learn to rest in Him, then you know, when the time is right, He'll take me out of this desert experience. And he'll bless me in ways that I cannot imagine. As you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And let me ask you, what is, what is God saying to you to, as a result of this message? I mean, some of you maybe for the very first time you just need to accept him and ask him to come into your life. Boy, this is your day. If you've never met him and ask him to come in your life, that you just pray and ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give the gift you the gift of eternal life and if that's you this morning we just want to know about that and in the bulletin there's a connect card you can check that and place it in one of the boxes at the close of the service but for those of you that know him there's a next step for every one of us let me ask you do you know joy? are you right with God? do you know this unbelievable joy regardless of the desert regardless of the situation? are you aware that he is forging a relationship with you of trust of just greater dependency on you? Because there's something about a desert that he gets our undivided, unbelievable attention. Do you aware that he, he wants you to know that he is faithful and that he is good? And he is bigger than any desert, any storm that you and I will ever go through. Are you right with yourselves? Are you just carrying a bunch of guilt that God has already forgiven you of? That you are totally and completely forgiven in him? you don't have to live under the condemnation of the guilt of the past, decisions of the past, that you have been set free in Christ. Now, you're right with others. You're right with those relationships around you, that you're just not going through the motions and it just doesn't look business. But there's deep relationships.